Who knows what Christmas is all about? Welcome to the third episode in our Rethinking Advent series. I'm Greg Hall, and over these six episodes, we're taking a closer look at the story of the Advent. And today we'll focus in on the nativity. And the word nativity has been used so much in our culture that I thought it would be good to bring in a dictionary definition of nativity. And it just refers to the occasion of a person's birth. And in the Christian worldview, when we speak of the nativity, we're specifically speaking of the occasion of the birth of the person of Jesus. I've had the opportunity to travel to Israel several times, and sometimes we've been able to make it into Bethlehem. And there's really one main site that people want to go to see when you go to Bethlehem. It's the Church of the Nativity. And in Bethlehem, since the 3rd or 4th century AD, a certain cave has been identified as the potential place of Christ's birth. And the cave then became a characteristic feature in the art of the Christian East. But what's interesting is, in the West, for the Europeans, it wasn't a cave, but it was a stable that was represented in the West. According to a review of the Church of the Nativity at Bethlehem by Harvey, a European is likely to conceive of a manger existing only in a stable, but an Oriental is more likely to conceive of a manger as in a courtyard or in a cave. And through the use of archaeology and the study of our scriptures, modern scholars believe that the Christ child was not born in a stable, alone, with animals, but maybe in a house, crowded with people, the kinds of people that he came to save. For this episode, I'll be relying heavily on an article by Dr. Michael Lefebvre. He is a minister living in Indiana and is a fellow with the Center for Pastor Theologians. And he suggests that it's not likely that travelers, especially a poor couple like Mary and Joseph, would look for an inn upon arriving in Bethlehem. They would have lodged with relatives. After all, Mary and Joseph were traveling to Bethlehem during a census because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. We see that in Luke chapter 2, verse 4. That means that Joseph had relatives in Bethlehem. It was his family's native town, and it's unthinkable that Mary and Joseph would have sought lodging in an inn rather than staying with family. That just doesn't make sense. And today, as we look at the nativity scene, we're going to be challenging maybe what your nativity set looks like at your house. Maybe you have it displayed inside, maybe it's out in the front of your house, in your lawn. But wherever your nativity set is, part of the importance of Christmas is understanding what the scene likely looked like. And what we'll find is we've likely added some characters and changed things around a bit. When Jesus was born, Luke reports that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Well, that's at least how most English Bibles translate the Greek word there, but that's not the word's usual meaning. There's a different Greek term that's used for inn, and we know that Luke knows that word because he uses it later in his gospel. If you were to flip over to Luke chapter 10, verse 30, you're at the beginning of the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And in that story, it's a Samaritan traveler that discovers a wounded Jewish man lying by the highway. And the text says the Samaritan set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn to care for him there. And the word that Luke uses in this context for inn is the more common word in the Greek for that idea. But if we flip back to the nativity account that Luke gives us, the word he uses there is not the same word that he used in Luke 10. And it's the presence of the inn in the parable of the Good Samaritan that shows that Luke knew the Greek term for an inn. And he also recognized the inn's typical location along highways between cities. But Luke does not use that term in the story of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem. Instead, Luke uses the term which refers to a lodging space inside a typical house. So the usual design for a home in ancient Palestine is known as a pillared house or a four-room house. We know this from recent archaeological discoveries. And although some variation is certainly possible, the general pattern is fairly consistent among period houses. So when Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, they almost certainly sought lodging with local relatives. But the house where they were received was already so full that there was no room for them in the lodging space of the house. That lodging space word that we often translate as in really refers to a part of the house the place in the house where people are normally lodged. Therefore, for Mary and Joseph, they, and perhaps other relatives in the family, were compelled to stay in the function rooms downstairs in the pillared house. I'll put a link in the show notes to the article that I'm referencing today. He's got a great picture of a pillared house that's been created to give us a visual representation of what it likely looked like. So in the pillared house, the upstairs is the lodging area, and down below there were three different areas, three different sections of the house that were used for different purposes. One of those areas was likely used to store implements used for family chores. The center area of the downstairs was likely a hallway that was used to access the two side rooms and a storage room in the back, but it was the third downstairs room where the household goats and sheep were usually penned. Most Hebrew households did not have the luxury of a special structure just for animals. Professional shepherds might use community sheep pens outside the city, but most households inside the city would keep just a few sheep or goats for wool and milk. And these were pinned in one of the downstairs rooms. They had some low partial walls that generally separated the three functions of the rooms downstairs. And there was a feeding trough for animals that was set on top of one of those low barriers between the center room and the animal pen. In the house where Mary and Joseph likely lodged that night, the lodging space, the upstairs, was full. And that compelled them and perhaps others in the family, to stay downstairs overnight. And with no space to lay the baby born in such conditions, the new mother placed the child in the manger in the low wall right beside her. In the last episode, I suggested that we might have added extra characters into the story of the advent of Christ. For instance, Mary may not have been riding a donkey. It's not in the scriptural text. And in this case, in the case of the nativity scene, 
It's likely in that third room downstairs in their relative's house where the animals usually stayed. It was so small that the animals would have been taken outside for the night. It's very possible that there were no animals there at all. The one or two family animals would have been cleared out of the space when their guests arrived. And there's some further support for this type of reading that comes out of Luke's narrative. According to Luke, the angels reported the news of the birth to the shepherds in the surrounding fields. And the angels told them that a baby was born in Bethlehem that night and that he was the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the shepherds went quickly into the city to find the child. And when they saw it, it says that they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And then it says, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The phrase, all who heard it there, suggests that there was a lot more people than just Mary and Joseph in the house that night. And it's likely that later readers, like us, have misunderstood Luke's narrative because we are unfamiliar with the period practice of lodging animals and installing a manger inside of the family home. When readers like us come to the story and we see mention of a manger in the account, we are prompted, because of the cultural river that we're swimming in, to think of a stable. But the evidence from the text and archaeology helps us to better understand the setting of Jesus' birth, not as a cave or a stable, but as a house that was likely crowded with lots of people. There would have been aunts and uncles and cousins and distant relatives from Joseph's family and the lineage of David. And while we might not understand having animals in our house other than dogs and cats— we can easily picture gathering family together at this time of year and how crowded it may have been and how much support Mary and Joseph must have had in that setting. It really changes the dynamic of the story to think of it that way. And while rethinking the nativity setting may not change the significance or meaning of the event, it does help us as readers to imagine what it may have looked like. Well, all this prompts an obvious question for my household. What do I do with the nativity set that I currently have that looks like a barn? And what do I do with all those animal figures that are crowded around Mary and Joseph? Well, we're still working through that in the Hall household, and I'm going to let you figure that out for yourselves as well. Because as we'll find out in the next couple episodes, there's probably some more changes that will need to take place in your nativity setting. The introductory music that I'm using for this Advent series is a piece called Jazzy Bells by D. Yankee. And at the end of each of our episodes in this series, I'm including some music that corresponds with the topic we've discussed. And for today's episode, we're going to finish with a song that has contributed much to our collective understanding of the nativity scene. So let's listen in as Janine Michalak sings Away in a Manger.
for him.